Welcome to CX and Chill, the real, raw customer experience podcast from EXO Studios. Today, your host, Stephanie Todd, interviews Josh Ives, Senior Vice President of Customer Operations at FanDuel. Tune in as they discuss everything from seamless customer experiences to channel support, AI bots, even Tinder dates with IRS agents. Enjoy. Clearly, this guy is the king of I just work here. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing any customer ever wants to experience. Yeah. Lizzo, the bulldog, she's right. like adorable with a little tutu. <laughs> they don't run even where they're supposed to go. They're like yeah. attacking each other. They, they definitely don't make it, <laughs> most of them across the finish line. It's nice to have a, a staff that cares and it's important to be able to give them a reason to care. Driving consumer behavior in a way very often that's better for them, but they don't naturally do. Oh, uh, I knew it. These guys are going to rip us all off. And it's like, we're not, we're actually gonna do something that's gonna be pretty great for everybody. Mm-hmm. We just can't say so yet. Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Todd. You're here with us at CX and Chill. I'm excited to have Josh Ives from FanDuel here with us today to talk a lot more about true CX, getting to like the real raw part of all of it. Perfect, happy to be here. Yeah, I feel like what you've done at FanDuel has made it a lot more of a true organization across where I think a lot of traditional customer experience has had issues because it's, You have this team, marketing, PR, all the teams are so separate. So it seems like it's something that's unique there where you can really go across the entire organization to to truly have support, even in the product side. One of the things in general that a lot of companies struggle with is, you know, they have their frontline staff and that's, that's not just customer service, right? That's made up of any, any staff in a retail environment, right? You walk into a retail store, you know, you get on the phone with someone, you get on a live chat with somebody that's all frontline facing staff, social media, frontline facing staff. And very often those people are sort of siloed from the strategy of the organization, where they're going in some sort of horrible instances, they can be thought of as a necessary evil at FanDuel. And, and a lot of companies have gotten better at this of late. It really is integrated into the organization. And there's a realization that None of our customer base wants to understand, oh, this is a marketing issue. This is a product issue. Mm -hmm. This is an engineering issue. This is a whatever issue. They just are reaching out. The fact that they're reaching out to you already indicates they're an engaged customer. They they care about Mm -hmm. your product, your service, your brand. And so you have an opportunity to recover them, keep them doing what they want to do. No one woke up and thought, I'm going to call customer service just because (laughs) I love customer service and I I love talking to them. They always do because there's some issue with something they wanted to do that they were not able to do to the, you know, the way they wanted to, or as easily as they wanted to. So you help them out, you've strengthened your brand and you've gained an insight. Mm -hmm. So every time a customer reaches out to service, regardless of the channel, it's an insight into something that is confusing for a customer. Mm -hmm. That may be a promotion. That may be the way the product works and how you cycle that back through the organization so that you can improve makes a huge difference because every improvement you make based on that customer feedback is is a meaningful change that at least one customer for sure, Mm -hmm. likely a lot more, are able to feel and benefit from. And by making your frontline staff, again, that that sort of broader view of account manager, service, et cetera, that frontline and able to really get the customer what they need without ever saying, oh, that's from X department. Mm you're hiding your org chart from your customer, which is always going to be preferable. No customer wants to have to understand Vandal's org chart or Samsung's org chart or any other company's org chart. They just know Samsung made this thing. I need help with it. I called the Samsung number 
they should be able to do that. I don't want to yeah. hear, oh, let me transfer you. Let me do this. Let me do that. Yeah. And I think that's a, what, a big challenge I've seen where I don't think companies fully understand or grasp what it feels like to be the customer. So even if I order something, you know, I went to my home store to do a DIY project, which let's just say that is not <laughs> my forte. And so I had to go like seven times, right? Yeah. And then I had a question about it. And the, and the answer was, well, we don't manufacture the ceiling fan. You need to call them. We don't manufacture the screwdriver. Like I'm trying to just figure out how to do all of this stuff. And so I'm watching YouTube videos and whatever, getting advice from my dad who's telling me to go on YouTube, right? I'm like, you don't yeah. even know how to text, but like you're like, go on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, YouTube. and figure it out. Like, yeah. But it was multiple people I had to try to interact with because it was not a true customer experience across. It was, nope, sorry, go talk to other people, which is, I think, the most frustrating experience ever when they, they don't even care that it was, I came to you to help get help with something. Mm -hmm. And now you're sending me other places. Yeah. It's interesting. Some research we did when I was at a company that actually manufactured appliances. So you could have helped me with my ceiling fan. Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> now I know we who to call make, next We didn't make time. ceiling fans. You could have called the ceiling fan. <laughs> no. But we did a bunch of research across all of our retailers. And mm -hmm. that's that's one of the challenges as a manufacturer, especially in the US. At Samsung, we sold our products. Yeah, we sold some direct. But for the most part in the US, yeah. if you were going to go buy a Samsung refrigerator, washer, dryer, or phone, whatever, you're going to Best Buy, you're going to Home Depot, you're going to Lowe's, mm -hmm. uh, Verizon, AT&T. And that's where your purchase experience happens. Yeah. But then after that, in the case of an appliance, if you buy it from Lowe's or Home Depot or Best Buy, very likely they're organizing the installation for you. Yeah. That may be them or it may be a third party that's not even them. What we found in that research is when we looked at our customer base and basically we surveyed them about how they felt about customer service, we would get wildly different answers based on where they purchased it. Mm -hmm. And almost every single one of those when we dug in was actually about the installation, which Samsung mm -hmm. actually had nothing to do with, which yeah. really highlighted for us that we needed to. Yeah. And so we went, we partnered with all the retailers and we said, look, we want to help your installation organizations, whether they're your own or third parties, we want to help them understand how to install these better. Because at the end of the day, when something comes down to an installation issue, is it a Samsung problem? Is it a Lowe's mm -hmm. problem if it happened to be purchased at Lowe's? Yeah. Is it a third-party problem if Lowe's is using a third-party installer? The customer does not want to be in that loop. Mm -hmm. And very often they were getting caught in it and, and getting yeah. exposed to it. And so we we made a lot of effort to try to fix that. And the reality is, is both us and our retail partners took the understanding that regardless of whose fault it is at the end of the day, we should figure that out between us. And whoever the customer reaches out to needs to go solve the issue. And then we can fix it on the back end. Mm -hmm. That's going to lead to a better customer perception of both of our brands. Yeah. Because if I buy a Samsung appliance at Lowe's and something goes wrong with the installation and I happen to call Samsung and we say, oh, call Lowe's. Mm -hmm. Now they're mad at Samsung. Maybe yeah. Lowe's fixes it. Maybe they don't. If it's a third party and then Lowe's says call the third party, then that's a whole other issue. That yeah. third party is likely not a public facing brand. So yeah. they very likely aren't is incented to care. So you just create this really horrific, uh -huh. shitty experience like of customer. The old school merry yeah, around the playground. Yeah, that's super avoidable. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, by the time it ends up getting ultimately escalated to some executive at one of those companies, mm -hmm. you spent way more money not fixing it than you would have right. if you had just taken ownership and and driven it to resolution right then and there. Yeah. And then gone gone back channel, you know, between the brands to kind of figure out, okay, how do we 
how do we make sure this is right? I always compare the analogy when people don't fully understand customer experience. I'm like, when you go to a restaurant and you sit down at your table, do you want to know the problems in the kitchen? Do you want to feel the stress and pressure of like, who's the head chef? Who are all these people? You know, you just want to sit down, enjoy that experience, have a good dinner and not feel or know what's going on in the background. And I think that there's still so many organizations who haven't figured that out. So it's interesting to see whether it's you and the influence that you've brought. Mm -hmm. I know FanDuel started in 2018. So if it's a newer company and they just figured it out quicker, like what do you think that, how do companies who don't necessarily have that mindset, how do they shift? Because I think some, that's the biggest challenge they have is to get to, I think where you're at. And that's honestly, for me, what would make them most successful is having that mindset and setting up their structure that way. Yeah. So it's, it's super interesting. Actually, FanDuel was founded in 2009 as a fantasy okay. sports company. Was 2018 way is when, well, t- 2018 is when online sports yeah, betting yeah. became okay. a state regulatory issue. So that's when, you know, sort of what yeah. most people think of as the online sports book uh, today is, is really when that started in New Jersey. I started at FanDuel in 2020, right, as we were really starting to grow yeah. and, a, and a, a big part of me coming was to help us define that scale. And there's two things that I think really came into play. One, this is especially true of companies in sort of this, you know, transitioning from very early startup days to, you know, bigger company days. Mm -hmm. As an example, when I started at FanDuel, the company was smaller than my organization is now at FanDuel. And I Mm -hmm. keep in mind, I started in 2020. So there's been massive, massive growth. And there's a lot of change that has to happen. And some of it can seem painful for companies, but you know, if you go like if you're a, a 400 person company and you have 100 people in your in your service organization, and I'll use that broadly to mean retail and and other you know customer service, of course, people know each other. Mm-hmm. There's there's a number of personal relationships and connections that people can yeah. really kind of maintain, and so things tend to flow through the company in a healthy way, somewhat automatically because of the relationships, and that's awesome. But as you scale, it requires more rigor and and more process in place to ensure that those connections and those flows still happen. The easy path is you start putting together lots of dashboards and lots of giant reports that say, oh, this many thousand customers had this issue yesterday. That cost us this much money. That's that's kind of a dangerous trap. What we try to always lead with at at FanDuel, we take one customer Mm -hmm. and we walk through their experience in detail. Because if you say this morning, a thousand people weren't able to verify when they tried to sign up to be a customer of FanDuel, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, oh yeah, that's not great. We could have got a thousand customers. But if you take one customer and you walk through everything they did to try to verify and verification is a challenge for us because it's, it's, we're held to regulatory standards and they vary by state. So it can be difficult for customers to go through that. It's not always fully in our control because again, those regulatory standards force certain things on us, which is fine. That pain just sits with the organization differently Mm -hmm. and the motivation to resolve it is just, it's just more human and more real. Then you layer that with, oh, by the way, that happened a thousand times. And the impact is just way different. Um, it sounds simple, but it's it, it's impactful. It, you know, yeah. it makes a it just gives everyone a very different perception of your your customer's experience versus the oh, a thousand people had a problem. It's you know that that's that's spreadsheet data. That's not people. That's not humans. Even that one human example just brings it back to something someone can relate to. 
Well, and I think it's just, there's a lot of spreadsheets, but there's not a lot of actionable insights of what to do differently. And, you know, there's some clients or people I'll talk to who I'll just ask the very basics of, have you shopped your own experience? Like, have you walked through that experience? And it doesn't sound complicated, but honestly, I think that's the easiest thing most people can do is just go through what that user went through. And it's not always going to be the same based on browser, phone, desktop. I mean, you have to try it out kind of in all the different variables, but I think it's a very easy way to actually figure out like what is going on, especially if you're starting to see some of the things pop up and trying to figure out or diagnose what was, what was actually happening behind the scenes. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And a a lot of times you hear statements like, well, this is what it should do. It's like, great. (laughs) What does it do? Yeah. Um, You know, and it's, it's easy for, especially with complex product sets um, it's easy for product people in engineering to fall on the, what it should do trap. And again, that that's great. Knowing what it should do is important. Mm -hmm it's more important to know what it does do because now you've got a, a gap to go close Yeah. where if all you focus on, and Oh, well, this is, you know, this is what I designed and this is what it should do. Great. But the customers are always experiencing what it really does. Yeah. And so if you're not also in that, in that reality, there's always going to be a gap between what the customer experience is and, and what you think it is or what you intended for it to be. Understanding that gap is how you, how you close it. Yeah. Like how you can really drive a difference with your product, not just being maybe a product or service that you're selling, but also how you're supporting that. The way that I would think of it is when customers think of brands and they think, and that's, that's really where it all comes together, right? It's a customer perception of a brand. When they talk about brands, when they think about brands, when they say this brand sucks, this brand is great. Very often it, yes, is the product, right? So if you, you know, if you, make a shitty product. Nobody's going to feel that great about your brand, Mm -hmm. but no one expects a perfect product either, Mm -hmm. you know, or or sometimes it's not even that the product is flawed. It's the use case the customer has is, is not met by the product and it wasn't even designed to, but understanding that gap gives you again, an opportunity to grab more market share. And if you layer service in as an experience that's tied to the product and tied to the brand, your opportunity for a strong brand perception goes way up. There's, there's gobs of research. I'm not going to quote any specific ones, but there's gobs and gobs of research out there that talk about customers who have an issue that is, are, you know, it's well taken care of and, and resolved are far more loyal than customers mm-hmm. who, who never had a problem to begin with. The sort of personal thing I'll add to that is what I've seen is Customers that have an issue that don't reach out because they assume it's going to be painful, mm-hmm. which let's be real, very often it mm-hmm. is, they were not that engaged to begin with. And, and they're probably the first ones to go out the door. I always tell my team, I'm far more worried about the customers who had the problem that we just talked to a bunch of customers about, solved it for them. I'm far more worried about the ones we didn't talk to that mm-hmm. probably had the same problem. Wherever we can dig through data and try to find those lookalike customers and go resolve them, that's a huge opportunity for mm-hmm. us because no one expects that proactive support. And again, it's just a, a moment where the, the brand gets improved, especially when you say, hey, we saw this problem that you mm-hmm. had. We know you didn't reach out to us. We've gone ahead and fixed it for you. Here's some kind of make good to, you know, apologize for it, basically, depending on how how big the issue is. And by the way, we've made some rectifications in our product, so this should never happen to you again. That customer perception you create there is is massive. One, they feel like you yeah. heard them without even necessarily them reaching out proactively to talk to you. Two, you, you just give the impression of giving a shit. Yeah. 
yeah. which matters so much <laughs> to customers. I mean, think about anytime you've, you've been in retail, you were talking about a home improvement thing earlier. I won't name which store it was. It was one of the big box stores, <laughs> yeah. but I was down in their store in Austin when I lived down there in, in Texas. And I was, I was looking for some kind of fitting for, I don't know, some plumbing thing I was fixing. And I went up to the guy in the plumbing department mm. and I said, Hey, can I, and I don't know, told him what I was trying to do. And he goes, mm. It's your house. You do whatever you want. <laughs> and I, I like, I wanted to punch him in the face, but I did, I did not do that. I avoided that. But, but I was like, well, clearly this guy is the king of, I just work here. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing any customer ever wants to experience. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of employees in an organization that is customer facing, if they feel disenfranchised, if they feel they can't impact yeah. change, that's where that attitude starts to come from. Mm -hmm. And Again, you're always you're always going to have an employee that that really just doesn't give a shit, and you know you try to find those and, and manage them out of the business or give them a reason to. But a big part of you know I feel my job is making our customers, frontline staff, feel empowered and feel like they can actually inform and influence change in the organization, yeah. in in a good way. And you know by cycling back and making sure, hey, we heard all these uh, customers contact about this. You guys have been hearing a lot of complaints about this thing. By the way, we just made this change. It should get better. Let us know if you still hear it. That feels like, you know, you're engaged in, in improving the product. And yeah. I've been lucky enough in my career for the most part to work in industries where most of our frontline staff were pretty engaged in what we mm -hmm. offered. I've worked in video games, consumer electronics, sports betting now, um, telco. Probably a little less engaged there, but, um, you know, it's, it's, well, it's uh, hard. No one, know. no one wants to call cable. No, they, 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 I don't want to do that. And I no. did that for a while. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it, it's nice to have a, a staff that cares and it's important to be able to give them a reason to care. Well, I used to always say like no experience is the best experience, but there's a caveat where, especially if you could do a superior proactive experience yeah. is drives loyalty. I think mm -hmm. just what you said, I don't know if I've really had many experiences what you've described. It sounds amazing. And if that's something that you're driving and delivering, that's phenomenal. Cause I think I don't want to have to reach out, but you're right. The people who aren't reaching out and I just, I'll buy something and then I'm unhappy and I just won't say anything yeah. unless I'm really, really mad, which doesn't happen very often. Or I'm just like very, like if I'm in the neutral space or like, okay, well I didn't spend too much money or they didn't make me too angry. Right. The experience wasn't awful. I'm not going to say anything and I just disappear. Like I just won't use it right. again. But what happens if someone asks you, Hey, I'm thinking about buying this. What do you think? You, you're, yeah. you're I'll going tell everyone right else like, yeah. absolutely not. Don't, don't waste your time. Yeah. You know? And so I don't do a lot of the reviews. I'm not going to do a lot of the reach out, but mm -hmm. those like, you know, and I think that goes to, to like voice a customer MPS total effort score. Like how are you measuring that? Yeah. That's today? a great question. So obviously we do lots of consumer research. We aggregate, we bring consumers in, we try to understand things. You know, one of the interesting things about CX as a, as a broader practice is you're in the business of driving consumer behavior in a way very often that's better for them, but they don't naturally do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, easy example for Vandal, we, you know, we have many ways customers can deposit, withdraw money, et cetera. Some of those ways are decidedly more convenient for the customer based on things we know, like how long it will take based on, you know, how that particular mechanism is, is regulated, right? Banks are regulated sure. differently than credit cards that are regulated differently than PayPal. Right. And so we can help steer that. And very often when we have a customer experience that 
we can actively see a customer choosing something that's not going to be as seamless for them. Mm-hmm. We want to try to influence that, but we want to do it in such a way that the customer understands the benefit. And look, yeah. ultimately what consumers usually want is choice, but we want to make sure they're making a informed decision around the choice that they make. And there's yeah. lots of people that have, you know, very specific reasons for, you know, doing the things that they do mm-hmm. and that's okay. And we're not necessarily going to change that. And we don't need to, but we, we want to make sure that they understand, Hey, if I want this to, you know, this money to move to and fro faster, there's options I have to be able to do that. Yeah. And so when, you know, if we have a customer that's unhappy with how fast they're able to make a deposit or get a withdrawal, very often we're able to look at that and go, well, if you withdrew this way, it would have come faster. Mm-hmm. And just making them aware of that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I think change is hard, but I think if you can mm-hmm. educate and actually tell people those benefits and yeah. get them to go on that path, then it's even better that they know that you care about them as a customer and you're trying yeah. to make their lives better and experience that product in a better way too. Yeah, it is absolutely. And, and if you're transparent about it, it just builds credibility in a way that makes the customer more interested in the options you're presenting them. Now, I think I think there's a, a natural inclination of customers today to anything they've read or anything they've heard that is slightly negative about a brand, they tend to kind of carry that to the extreme. Um, every industry I've been in, I've seen this. Um, something that you can't necessarily be public about yet. Yeah. When you're silent, there's always a big group on typically uh-huh. Twitter uh, or Reddit naysaying and <laughs> Oh, uh, I knew it. These guys are going to rip us all off. And it's like, we're not. We're actually going to do something that's going to be pretty great for everybody. Mm-hmm. We just can't say so yet. And and it's so tempting to get drug into that. Mm-hmm. And you just have to sit back and wait. And, you know, again, it's it's painful as a brand when you sit there and you go, we've literally never done this to anyone. Mm-hmm. How come every time there's a moment of of silence, there's there's this assumption that that's what we're going to do. And all you can really do is just keep you know, what we could say at FanDuel is winning with integrity and doing what we think is the right thing for our customers. And hopefully, you know, your actions ultimately speak louder than the naysaying words that, mm-hmm. that you're exposed to. And when we when we have reason to and we can, we we will engage. But very often, um, you know, we just have to sit there because there's, there's a lot of regulations around our industry. Yeah. I was going to say there has to be a lot that people just don't even understand what's going on behind the scenes. So yeah. Coming from some of the other things you've done before, electronics and everything else, there's regulations and everything, mm-hmm. but now you're in a very heavily regulated, yeah. not fully understood industry. You're not available everywhere yet. You're adding states by the day, it yeah. feels like. And yeah. it, depending on which product offering you have, you're in more states or, or mm-hmm. less And um, t- from an offering standpoint. But from moving from some of what you've done before into like heavy regulation, how do you manage that in terms of... I know like the agent population, but also yeah. like in their support staff, but also just the constant change based on policy change. Yeah. It's so it's, it's super interesting. And one of the things that's unique about our industry, look, there's lots of regulated industries, but I think one of the things that's unique online wagering is it's relatively new to the U S and mm-hmm. so what you have is, is obviously we're learning it. Our consumers are learning it. So are the regulators. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're dealing with state by state regulations that don't always align the way that, you look. Uh, you know, I won't name specific states, but some states require you to verify the address that you live in when you register. Other states don't. If you have to verify more facts about a consumer when they register, there is a higher chance that they will fail. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's all, it's all well-intentioned, right? The goal mm-hmm. is to reduce 
fraud. And of course, we, you know, the number one thing we do at FanDuel is we make sure we are following every single regulation and, and candidly, not just the letter of it, but also the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. And that can be difficult for customers to understand, especially if you have a customer who say, you know, signed up when they were in another state and they've now moved into a state mm-hmm. that has a more stringent regulation. They have to re-verify that that can be painful for them. And the perception is that FanDuel's driving that. U- ultimately, we are because that's where they experience sure. it, but we're we're doing it because we're following the the law. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how much we spend educating our customer base on that is sometimes a, a challenging debate for us because I don't know that any of our customers really want to have to understand all the regulations around no. whether or not they can, you know, go place a bet on their the football game this weekend. They just want um, to know if they can make that money. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Are you going to fill and, my pockets or not? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I mean, you have some states you can use credit cards for the deposit. Others you can't. Some allow PayPal. Others don't. Like there's, there's all kinds of, you know, variances. And if you're a customer like yourself or, or, or myself that, you know, has a tendency to travel yeah. around for work, understanding that can can get more complicated than you would like. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is always to keep that as simple and straightforward as possible. There's are just some simple examples of challenging regulations that definitely directly impact a customer yeah. that do as, as well as we can helping them understand that without overly burdening them with needing to go read a bunch of regulations. How do you educate to make sure like the agents, do they have a solid knowledge base? Like, yeah. like or is, are they trained only on specific states? Like how do you manage the skill set of that? That's, that's a great question. We're actually in the process right now of revamping our knowledge base. And I'll, yeah. look, I'll be the first to admit, we do the best we can. Um, we're not perfect in every every aspect. I've know. met a lot of very perfect people in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of one of our principles at FanDuel is to uh, stay humble and stay hungry. And it's 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 very easy to stay humble when you talk to customers all day because they mm-hmm. really do tell you uh, mm-hmm. exactly where you could be a little more hungry and, oh. and go after it. I think is, my favorite thing was I graduated college and one of my first jobs, like the second week, I was super excited. I sat down with my notebook and I was ready to take notes and someone stood up and was like, all you corporate assholes only come in when there's a problem. I was like, okay, I just went from being a very excited, like (laughs) fresh college grad and jumping in here to I'm already a corporate asshole. So it was was a very humbling experience as a 23 year old. I was like, oh, okay, this is where I am. Yeah. It's it's interesting. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so we we do, we have a knowledge base. Um, Look, some of it can be as as granular as terminology that we use. Mm -hmm. Some, some states, do not like the terminology risk-free bet. Yeah. Um, and so we use different terminology in those states. And it's, again, it's it's complicated. But yeah, it's it's about pushing the right information. The, the dream, I'll say, is pushing the right information to the right agent at the right time. Yeah. We do skill our agents. So agents are skilled by, you know, by product, by state, like, some of some of the states require agents, customer mm-hmm. service agents, to actually have a license. Some of that harkens back to kind of the days of you know physical casino licensing, and other states don't. Right? It's yeah. you know of course they're trained and everything, but they don't have to go maintain a license with the state. And so all of that gets taken into account. So as a customer, when you reach out to FanDuel in our app, you you know you're trying to place a bet need help and you go to chat with us, we're taking in information about your account. So where you're logged in, you know, where you physically are. And then we're also taking into account in terms of what state you're in, we're taking into account what your problem seems to be. Mm-hmm. And that's an area that we're really focused on continuing to improve this year is really understanding the intent that the customer has so that we can get them to the right solution. Because nothing is more frustrating to a customer than 
getting somewhere and the first thing the person says to mm-hmm. you is, oh, you need to talk to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so we really work hard to try to avoid that wherever possible. The other thing you know, that, that I'll own that we could be a little better at and we're working to is scenarios where a customer needs help and we have to we have to channel push them, meaning yeah. they came in on chat and we've got to research something and we're going to have to follow up via an email or something. Some of that's unavoidable, especially if we have to go check with a, you know a third party, for example, that we don't have as fast of an SLA with as we might like. But where we can avoid that, we do. And the other thing we're working towards is the ability to follow up in the same channel the customer chose, rather than always kind of falling back. You know, that's yeah. a that's a big problem a lot of companies have. It's a reality that some things have to be researched and looked at offline later. How do you make that as minimally painful for the customer as possible? And we're good at this. How do you make sure you're actually following up? I'm sure you've had this experience. I've certainly had it plenty of times in my career where I reach out to a company and say, oh yeah, um, you know, we need to look into that. We'll get back to you tomorrow. And I think a hundred percent, I'm going to be calling you back in three days. Like, cause sadly a lot of companies are not great at that. Yeah. So that's an area that we, we work real hard to, to yeah. avoid any of those scenarios where if we, we make a commitment, we really do try to follow back up. Yeah. Even no, if I, it's to say, Hey, we're going to need more time. Yeah. I think the worst was the IRS. I tried to get my money back from them for a long time. And I think I had to make a hundred phone calls and yeah. now I'll probably get audited because they're I much better their at name. knowing when you owe them money. than they <laughs> Oh when yeah. They yeah. I told my CPA, I'm like, I'm not paying them until they pay me. And he's yeah. like, that is not how it works. He's <laughs> yeah. like, I advise against yeah. you this. Can't, you can't take them to jail. They, like, they can take you to jail. I'm like, can yeah. I blow them up on Twitter? What can I do to get <laughs> yeah. the attention? He's like, I, I just think you should stay quiet and keep calling. Yeah. I'm like, I'm probably going to, like my actual idea, I'm going to tell you, was I was going to go on a dating app and find someone who worked at the IRS and go on a date and be like, we should go to your office. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, how else? I was at that, like, it was that stretch of desperation of like a year and a half of still not getting yeah. through the number and knowing the back end of contact centers and everything. I'm like, I don't know what my solution is at this point. So I'm like, what that's, could I that's, do? That's pretty good. Fishing, yeah, I, I'm definitely, fishing through a dating app. Yeah. Fishing for an IRS agent. That's a tricky one. Do you put, I didn't actually do that. but I know, but do was, you put your an IRS agent in a dating app? That seems like not maybe a path to success in terms of- I mean, but maybe he gets a lot of dates because people have similar problems. That's fair. Or they think, oh, if I date an IRS agent, I may I have some have tax breaks. I can have my tax breaks. issues solved. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's tricky. I'm not sure. Yeah. I didn't actually go down that path, but it was where my mind was taking me. I'm like, how, like, what are my, what are my potentials here for solutions? Cause I'm a yeah. fixer. So when I yeah. don't find a solution, I'm very agitated. I mean, it's definitely a path. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I went, but yeah. yeah. Um, so back to FanDuel, we'll get out of, we'll get out of all the other stuff. <laughs> but like when you look at it and you look at the channels that you support the, the customers in, mm-hmm. That's one of the things I look at sometimes where people will say, I want to turn on chat. I want to turn on this. And I, I, t- I guide people to say, well, what are you actually trying to solve mm-hmm. to know what channels you, you should support people yeah. in? And so do you have any like advice for people on the channel offerings? Because I know every company is a little bit different. Yeah. I see emails kind of starting to die down. I've said that I think voice is going to be more prevalent, but not in the traditional voice mm-hmm. channel, more in like I watch my children interact on their phones. They don't even look at a weather app. They're, they just say, Siri, what's the weather? Yeah. Like they're so, I don't want to call them lazy, but they're right. very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like going against what, you know, we've always done. Right. And so when you look at the channels, what, what do you think of, or how do you know what to set up? Like from your past experience to where you are now, of what channels yeah. they should offer? That's a, that's a great question. So I, I tend to think of channels as the way that I prioritize what channels should be offered 
or by looking at how, what are the best channels that are going to be close to what my customer is doing to begin with? So in our case, a huge amount of our customer base is interacting with us through an app. Like, you mm-hmm. know, they can do it on a website too. They can do it on their computer, but the vast majority are going through our apps on their phone. And so it is insanely logical for us to offer chat directly in that mm-hmm. app in that phone. Nearly 90% of our volume comes in through through that channel because yeah. that's that's where the customer is. And what I have found a- across the board in my career is by and large, and there's always some exceptions, different industries, the closer to the experience with your product that you put support, mm-hmm. the more effective it's going to feel for the customer. Yeah. The, the two things I would say, easy example, if I'm in an airport and there's yeah. a flight delay, I really want to pick up my phone. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is a lot of the airlines are starting to offer things, yeah. you know, like Apple business chat and so on, which I potentially am okay with, but it better feel like it's fast. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the thing. I'm, I'm standing in the airport. My flight has been delayed. I kind of want to solve this yeah. in a hurry. Or like when I had to, I went to a concert and or a stadium. I'm trying to pull up my tickets, trying to get into the stadium. Yeah. Plus, you have a myriad of people behind you, and it's like mm-hmm. the pressure of everyone being yeah. agitated if you can't yeah, get what's it to going work. On? This person's holding and me it's, up. Yeah. yeah, it's trying like the. I think depending on that situation or what your what product or service like you're right. dealing with is that fast like response time too. Yeah, absolutely. The the other thing I would say is if you're going to offer a channel, you really need to be ready to support it and. Mm-hmm. To that end, you know, I would consider piloting a channel and being public with the fact that it's a pilot and nail an end date on your pilot. Like, mm-hmm. if you, again, if you're considering adding a channel, that, that's okay, but make sure it's a actual value add to your customers and not just a pet project. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've been at companies and like, we really want to provide support through, mm-hmm. you know, the in-home devices, Google Assistant, Alexa, whatever. And it, it, I'm like, that's that's a super neat idea. Mm-hmm. But we don't make those things. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What are we trying to really accomplish with mm-hmm. that? Is it just to check a box and say we did a neat thing and claim innovation? Because it, it's not really innovative if it didn't make the customer's life easier. Yeah. You know, so again, maybe that would have been a great idea, but we didn't have a great path to pilot it. And, you know, so it kind of died on the vine, which is okay. But those are the, those are the kinds of things that, you know, you can fall into a trap. If you go, mm-hmm. if you go launch a web forum, for example, or something where it's like, oh, we're going to build a community of our customers. They're going to come there yeah. and you you better be ready to interact with them because if you're not, then that's going to become a real problematic channel for you. And, you know, so you just have to be willing to commit the time and the resources to whatever channels you're you're going to offer and, and do them well. You're better offering a narrower channel offering than and doing all of them well mm-hmm. than you are just like, oh, we're going to offer any way in the world to get in touch with us and have a bunch of them not be that great. Yeah. Well, and I, I like where your head is at and similar for my thinking or theories of the channel, like whatever channel you're servicing them in is where you should keep them. Like unless yeah. it's some high complex thing where you have to up channel them or regulation issue, right. or maybe it's privacy concern or credit cards, whatever that is, but moving them from channel to channel, I'm always dissatisfied. Yeah. And I, like, I even tell my e-commerce clients, like, just get chat right because that's where they're shopping. Mm-hmm. So if they have to leave their shopping cart and call you or do like, if you can just make sure you're trying to service them in those channels, it's always yeah. a better experience. But, you know, I, I find it interesting because what last fall frontier announced, they're getting rid of their voice, like contact centers. Yeah. 
And so like, what do you think about that when you like, I, I just don't know if AI or tech is there yet to handle. I still think that you have to have some human approach for some yeah. of those complex issues. But what do you think about yeah, that so, announcement? You know, I think, I think, so it's going to matter a lot how they do with their mm-hmm. non-voice channels. Many, many companies are overly bullish on AI. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things that can be accomplished with it. We, yeah. we, we do a fair amount with it as well, and we're always seeking to tune it. And a, a big goal that I have for our AI strategy is if we're certain about the intent and we can solve it, great. Because most mm-hmm. of the time, the customer doesn't, they want to be as fast as they can. Yeah. Right? The fastest path to resolution is always the best. Not having a problem to begin with is the best, but <laughs> yeah. the fastest path to resolution is always going to be the best for the customer. And if it's, you know, you 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 connect and AI says, hey, it looks like you were, I'm just making up a scenario for us. It looks like your flight is canceled. We've got th- these three options and mm-hmm. I can click one. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that AI. Yeah. If the AI is like, tell me your frequent flyer number and now mm-hmm. tell me your password and are you traveling today? Well, I just told you two things about me that should let you know if I am or not because I, you know, I logged in. Now you're starting to frustrate me and that's Mm -hmm. when I'm going to start typing agent, 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 you know, anything (laughs) I can come up with to try to get to the agent. So where I think AI can really serve well is again, those, those sort of quick hit, can I solve a problem in an effective Mm -hmm. way? Am I very certain about what the customer is trying to accomplish from there? It's how quickly can the AI get the customer to the right agent Mm -hmm. and, and be clear about it. You know, yeah. say, hey, I want to get you to the right. It can't be a hundred questions. It's got to be real mm-hmm. simple stuff. What are you trying to do? And okay, great. You know, in our environment, it would be, we see you're in this state, which again matters from a regulatory perspective, you know, a simple statement around what the customer's trying to, to do. And we're trying to withdraw. I'm trying to deposit. I'm trying to place a bet. Great. Now we can get you to the right person. We already know what product they're in. So, you know, that there's nothing that drives me more crazy than when I go and I mm-hmm. try to interact with customer service. I'm literally in <laughs> an app. Uh-huh. And if it's a company that has multiple apps and they're like, which product are you using? It's like, I, I'm, I'm in your product. Uh-huh. You don't know that? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. asking customers things you should know is another way that I think AI super or even agents super frustrate people. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we've all been through the experience where whether it's on the phone or in a chat, you authenticate with the AI. You say, okay, this is who I am. I was logged in. And the first thing the agent asks you to do is to verify who you are. And it's like, mm-hmm. what was the what was the point of that? Mm-hmm. Um, or re-authenticate. They take you out of their own yeah, app. And I'm like, why are... Like, yeah, it's just are, a very bizarre, uh-huh. bizarre workflow. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things we do through AI is we do verify the customer, which is actually great. A, a, a human being is one of the worst ways to verify a customer because yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's easy to manipulate. And so whenever we can verify a customer through the AI, very, very easy. It makes the agent's life easier. It's easy for the customer. We, we tend to do that. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity in those areas. And again, I, I'd say there's opportunities for AI, but you have to be realistic about how often is it solving? And, and more importantly, not just how often is it solving, but how often is it annoying? Mm-hmm. Because you should seek to get those annoying experiences out of the way. And if a customer has taken an action that failed in a way that you know is going to require them to be talking to a person, mm-hmm. the AI should be doing very little other than getting them to that person. Yeah. Well, and I think two things. One, it I get so frustrated if I go through a whole process with AI and then I get with a person and they start all over. Yeah. Even in chat, I'm like, 
I, I can see what I've written in chat. Can you not see what I've written yep. in chat? They're like, 100%. how can I help you? I'm like, what is, what, what is going on? But so going back to something I think is important that you mentioned is telling people that I think a lot is transparency communication, right? Mm-hmm. What you, what you've already talked about, but that telling people about the pilot. Yeah. Cause originally when some of the chat AI came out in the beginning, it was like that old paperclip guy, Clippy in your Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably aging myself. People are like, who, no, what are you yeah, talking about? That <laughs> and he was super annoying, but you're like, okay, do I have a problem? Can I little click that little guy and, and get some help? But now it was almost like what in the late nineties, early two thousands, where all of a sudden these AI chatbots were coming out. And it wasn't until you'd be far enough down the path where you realized it wasn't a person. Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that did it well at least said, hey, I'm a computer simulator, whatever it was that they at least gave some language to explain it. But so many people were hiding that. And I think it made it a more frustrating process. So I think to your point, like being able to tell people this is a pilot or giving some of that clarity on it, I think is critical too. Yeah, 100% agree. And at Vandal, we haven't done this yet, but we're toying with some other channels we may offer um, and we're, we're going to pilot them and we're going to have a group of customers we pilot them with and we will be clear that it's a pilot. Is that TikTok? Yeah, it's TikTok. We're going to do all of our support through dance. <laughs> oh, um, yes. can we get an example of this? Do you do interpretive <laughs> no, dance? You don't, no one wants to see that. <laughs> I, I actually, I don't know. I think it could be great. A great break for our podcast. Like, I mean, it's tongue in cheek, but I look at it and yeah. think, you know, I know there's probably, you know, one of the things of having more of a true organization that works together across all departments it's hard, I think, for some of these companies to keep up and say, okay, marketing's really pushing our mm-hmm. user base. We need to get some of yeah. the demographics from a TikToker. And I know there's still challenges with some of these, the ownership and regulation and some of the social channels of what countries are involved in stuff. So there's still yeah. some concern around that, especially in heavily regulated industries. Mm-hmm. But what kind of channels are you looking to get into? Or can you share that with us yet? Oh, it's a secret. Yeah, we probably can't share that just yet. Oh, but, uh, I'm excited. When yeah, will we there, kind of there, find there, out? Let's put it this way. It's, it, candidly, it's more direct channels than it is more social channels. Okay. You know, we, I think we do a reasonably good job on our social channels. Some channels aren't super conducive to support on, on mm-hmm. social media front. Candidly, TikTok's probably one of those. Twitter, on the other hand, it actually is not a horrible channel for support. Yeah. And one of the nice things about one, you can have a, you can take a conversation private if you need to. Yeah. Two, it is it is a relatively easy path from Twitter to get someone into a more direct conversation. Some of these other channels, it's it's very difficult to do mm-hmm. that. You know, and I, I won't profess to be the world's expert on social media by any stretch of the imagination. But I thought um, you were a social media influencer. I, no, I am. I am. I am not. Um, there's very little influencing <laughs> happening uh, or very little posting happening, which I think is required for influencing. But, you know, it's it's just some of those other channels, it's difficult to have a, a private conversation. There's not a clean yeah. way to link someone's social account to our account with them, mm-hmm. uh, again, in some scenarios. And that that just doesn't make for a super smooth support experience. Mm-hmm. And so we try to, you know, look at channels that will make it easier for the customer, not not harder. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you have some exciting things coming up. We try. Yeah. And on top of the constant change, adding products, adding different kinds yeah. of betting and, you know, um, even in terms of the states, you yeah. know, I'm still waiting in Minnesota. Like, come on, let's get going. You got to talk to your regulators. Yeah, we're, we're your legislators. We're, um, whenever we launch a state, that's one of the exciting things about our industry is mm-hmm. there's not a lot of industries anymore where your addressable market literally can just grow overnight because 
of a legislation that's pa- mm-hmm. that's passed. Yeah. So when that happens, obviously it's exciting for us. It's exciting for the citizens of that state. You know, it's 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 really fun to be in an industry mm-hmm. with that type of growth. But how much know? lead time do you get? Like if they say it, we're turning this on, how it, fast do you have to be able to support that? It varies that? wildly, right? Some are faster than others. You know, some involve a, an actual ballot initiative. So obviously mm-hmm. when that happens, we know the outcome of the yeah. election. And then once that's passed, regulations are written. So so very often you have a decent amount of lead time. What can get tricky sometimes is is the actual date of launch can, mm-hmm. can move in and out. Well, we in Minnesota had the um, weed legalization on our ballot or whatever. Did that pass? I don't remember. It's very complicated. So it passed, but then all the legislators who voted for it said, oh, we didn't mean to. It was. It sounded like it was one of those good old contracts where someone wrote it in like like fine line below and everyone accepted uh, it. So there was something sketchy about it, but then it was hmm. a very interesting dynamic because you had businesses trying to start up, but then they're also being told like, no, no you have to yeah. almost have like the point, like the off-sale beer sure. was, has to be different. And at yeah, the state fair, they couldn't be in the state fair. They had to be across the street. Like it's wow. very complicated, but I think for businesses to be able to follow whatever yeah. those mandates are and trying to be able yeah, to move it, it, it when they're tricky. changing it. And, yeah. and for us, it's usually the launch date moves in and out yeah. as various things happen. And, you know, speaking as someone who runs a, an operation that, that mm-hmm. is human intensive, that can be challenging because yeah. if you staff too early, you, you're, you're basically throwing buckets of money out a window. Yeah. If you staff too late, well, that's a missed opportunity because, you know, the way that we look at it is if a customer is trying to sign up with us, and we're understaffed. And so, you know, they, they are waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. We're probably not acquiring that customer. Yeah. And so, you know, that's it's important for us to, to be prepared and, you know, the right forecasts in place and everything else so that we have staff ready and able to help them. And, mm-hmm. you know, you take you take a state like Ohio. I think Ohio has just shy of 12 million citizens in it. Yeah. That's a, that is a very tangible increase to an addressable customer base. Yeah. That literally happens overnight when, when you know, the green light goes on for, you know, sports betting being legalized there. And that happens in every state launch. New York's over 20 million in, you know, their mm-hmm. population when that launch. So, you know, it is, it is a tangible thing to prepare for, not just from a, you know, operations perspective, from a technical perspective, you know, there's, there's meaningful work to do every time one of these state launches, you know, we've, we've certainly learned a lot through the years in launching Mm -hmm. states and we're getting better and better at it. And every, every state launch, we learn something new and get better. Yeah. And do you find like the number of people or the volume of betting or like what tends to like, is there science behind that in terms of, is it the newer states have go through this educational period? And so you kind of can see the trends of how many people are contacting. And once they've been a user for a year or a customer for a year, they kind of taper off on those questions. Yeah. So the, what we would look at is the contact rate. So active customers versus the number that contact us Mm -hmm. early days of of almost every early days of any state launch that rate is always higher mm-hmm. um, because you have customers trying to sign up. And, and again, because of the, the verification workflow that's yeah. required by the regulations, that is a somewhat complex process. And then as the state matures and you have you mm-hmm. have more of the people that are going to sign up early have signed up and gone through that. And you just sort of have a, a roar, a dull roar of, of active acquisition that goes on that sort of normalizes out. And then, of course, you have your big events. Um, obviously, Super Bowl is a, a massive event in our industry. Mm-hmm. And so that day we will we will have a very high number high amount of volume. We have we have some betters that only bet the Super Bowl. Which you can't bet, can you? 
Not really. No. Yeah. Which yeah. is okay because your team's not even going to be playing, uh, right? I know. Yeah. Your your team is the same team as my ten year old's team. Well, so he's got a big fat head on the wall, and I think that's yeah. It was from the previous family, so I think that's why he decided to become a fan of them. Green Bay is America's team, so he's patriotic. <laughs> Sounds like you're raising him right. Uh, you know, his brothers are Vikings slash Broncos fans, depending on who's winning. Yeah. So now they're more Vikings fans and Broncos fans, but they kind of go back and forth. I mean, they're all sad right now. Yeah, you but know. see, you've got a loyal Green Bay fan. See? That's 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 in, in the DNA of the Green Bay fan is loyal. Yeah. I mean, I was at a Vikings game, and I know some of the Vikings staff, so we were in the Vikings suite, mm-hmm. right? My 10-year-old's... On his, in his Rogers jersey, and he's and I'm like, is it okay for him to be in here? Like, is that okay? And they're like, oh yeah, because he, he's a kid, you know. Yeah, as a ten year old, is probably acceptable. He started heckling everyone because the <laughs> Packers started winning, and he's like, oh yeah, look at this, like whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. They're trying to give him Vikings jerseys, and he's like, he's like, I don't want any of this crap. And I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, that I'm, is he's a very strong willed child, but you know, he he's up and down because. That game, unfortunately for yeah. him, ended up losing. And it was like the Vikings were up and then the Packers had this miracle play. And so he was boasting. And then within 30 seconds, it went downhill. And I still yeah. have pictures of him in the Vikings suite with his Packers jersey up just bawling. <laughs> and then they were, and then all the Vikings fans were like, we're so sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, don't be sorry for him. He was heckling all of you. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's nice. Not, you know, not every sports fan is that nice. <laughs> No, he was kind of, I mean, he's 10, so it's probably, you know, and I lived in Pittsburgh and some of the other places that are, I, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Green Bay. I was always, I, I never, I never looked at this until I lived in those places, but they were the fans who would say, when you don't have cheerleaders, you know, that's a true football team. And I never thought about that. And then I realized that there's only a handful of teams yeah. that don't. Also the cold weather places. So I don't, yeah. I don't blame them. Right. Um, but I was, I thought that was an interesting thing. But yeah. so if you could bet, what, what, have you seen any interesting bets out there that aren't just like winning and losing? Cause there was that one, what, a, a year or two ago. And it, I don't know what it was bet on, but the guy who ran naked. Do you remember this story Ooh, where there was a guy who that. made money because he made some bet with someone about if he could, streak across the field oh, so you could make it all the way yeah uh, i mean look, like those are the bets i would want like yeah, i want to take like the ridiculous right? there's thing. lots of like very <laughs> interesting things that you can bet on and in, in, in our app you know one of the one of the favorite ways for our customers to bet is what we call same game parlay which we mm-hmm. we, we kind of invented but it's the uh, you know there's always parlay bets have been a thing for a long time it's right mm-hmm. i'm gonna bet this team wins this team wins that team wins that's mm-hmm. a, you know the, all those things have to happen for my bet to win same game is Aaron Rodgers is going to throw the first pass to this guy and he's going to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And the second touchdown will be scored by this guy. Mm-hmm. That you know, all yeah. in one game. And those are those are very, very popular ways of betting for our fan base because it's all contained, right? It's it's yeah. a it's a singular event. It's exciting. The the odds get quite high. Mm-hmm. Uh and and in parlay bets in general. So you can win a lot of money on a relatively small bet. We had a customer, I'm going to forget the exact amount they won last year, but they predicted the outcome of every playoff game and the outcome of the Super Bowl and won a lot of money on a relatively small bet. You know, that's, that's exciting, right? Um, That, that'd be the kind of stuff I would, I would probably tend to bet on as Mm -hmm. well. And then, you know, like you said, anything kind of crazy, we're doing a promotion for the Super Bowl where we're having Gronkowski attempt to kick a field goal. 
What do you he, think? He is not a kicker. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a fun, it's a But fun. he has like many qualities, right? He's I mean, he's like, athlete, he doesn't right? do like he, DJing yeah, he, and dancing yeah, he, yeah, and stuff. Right. So, okay. Yeah. And he's an athlete. And he's like, right? So, you know, to a degree, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've ever been around athletes in general. It sounds like you've been around some of the Vikings players, so pseudo athletes. But the, I could kick a field goal. I want. I want to be the one who goes. I'll go you know, up against maybe, him. Maybe that'll be our promo for the Super Bowl next year. We'll get uh, get stuff to try to kick a field goal. Uh-huh. The athletes are athletes. They're mm-hmm. they're good at stuff. You yeah. know, I have a good friend of mine. He's an athlete. It's just annoying. We can't do anything with the guy because yeah. he's going to be good at it. And it's yeah. you know. So I think he has a pretty good chance. Okay. Hmm. Well, that might be a bet I have to yeah. take too. Mm-hmm. I know. Except I can't in Minnesota. So. Well, you can while you're here. You can place. Mm-hmm. So that's that's. Actually, something I, I think we talked think a little bit about it in terms of like yeah. the IP, like following people based on where they're located. Was yeah. One of the so, things you have so in again, it's, it's a regulation, but you know, much like you can go place a bet when you're in Vegas, mm-hmm. when you're in New York or another state that online betting is legal, yeah. you can place a bet on a FanDuel account. Do you um, have to be there when the event happens? No, hmm. no, it's it's about placement. Okay. So. It's uh, it's available. In fact, a lot of our customer base will live in states where, when they travel for business or whatever, they're placing mm-hmm. bets, and when they're home, you know, they they can't actively bet. So, if they travel a lot, no, no, no problem. And then, a side note: so, like, how are the bookies feeling about all of this? Because, like, I look at like when Uber came out, right, and you had a lot yeah. of like the transit communities or the sure. unions get really upset. Do you have any issues that have popped up with any of that, or that really hasn't been an, an issue at all? Things come up. We're we're interested in making sure that gray market or, or illegal betting yeah. isn't happening. And there's, you know, as, as interestingly as states go live with legalized betting, it's more interesting to the state to try to shut down some of that yeah. uh, illegal bet placement as well, because it's not taxable, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're, you're not able to tax things that are not I know. legal earnings. I and wish you could tax the losses though, too. <laughs> like when I'm in Vegas, I'm like, yeah. my, I don't bet in Vegas. You wanted a deduction. Yeah. 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 If I'm going to lose 30 grand, I also, right. you know, I don't want to yeah. just get taxed on it yeah. because I'm, the IRS is going to hate me after this one. But yeah. um, when I'm in Vegas, I always joke that I lose $3 and 50 cents. That's like the most I lose because I lose it at the ATM. I just put oh, the card yeah. in. I'm like, I know I'm going to make 20 bucks or 500 bucks, whatever I'm going to take out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm solid. Yeah. But I usually don't do a lot of betting in Vegas just because you know, if I'm going to, I like to do more of the the sports, the sports yeah. book, things like that. Like right. even the horse stuff is fun, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, I've Canterbury up in Minnesota and yeah. it's, it's fun to go to those. I actually enjoy, they do Sundays where they do dog mm-hmm. races. You can't bet on those, which I right. wish I could bet on them because yeah. they have like Lizzo, the bulldog. She right. was like adorable with a little tutu. <laughs> they don't run even where they're supposed to go. They're like yeah. attacking each other. They, they definitely don't make it <laughs> most of them across the finish line, but it's just kind of a fun thing. I'm like, I hope they yeah. continue to change or have different fun ways to continue yeah. with betting. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's, uh, you know, again, we're, we're, so we have a, we also have a TV station. So FanDuel TV, uh, that's one of the things that we, mm-hmm. we look for is interesting like uh, Japanese game shows outside of football seasons to bet on. It, I mean, it could be it really, it, it really could be kind of anything table yeah. tennis corner. I don't know. You know, yeah. like, there's all kinds of, it just, it makes things kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would rather have you push Japanese game show betting or like on the TV shows versus me kicking anything. Like I think I'm too klutzy. I'd probably fall. And unless I was going to make money on people betting on that, I probably don't want to approach that one. But yeah, the challenge, we need a live event. That's the trick because you can't be a known outcome, right? So you want to like world poker. 
Yeah. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know because there's lots of channels and you're bringing also um, more opportunity for people in unknown sports or not as yep. popular sports also to get some presence yeah. or to be able to, for people to watch. You look during the peak of COVID, we saw a, a, a lot of interest in horse racing mm-hmm. and golf. Some of the things that kind of came back sooner because they're yeah. inherently more spread out than some of the other sports. And so we saw a lot of interest kind of peak up there, which isn't, isn't really surprising, but was, you know, super interesting for us. Well, any last words of advice? Like if you were going to tell anyone who's getting into customer experience or trying to look at how to change their business, is there something that you wish you would have known when you got into this that, like someone could have told you back in the day? I would really say partner with your brand teams, your communication teams. All of those teams are, are one, you should really think of yourself in, in many ways as a part of them. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, in fact, something I said to our, our CMO at Samsung when I was there at one point was we're having this conversation and, you know, he kind of mentioned all the engagement they were trying to drive mm-hmm. with customers. It's like we're spending all these millions of dollars trying to have engagement with customers. And I said, and we are spending millions of dollars having one-on-one conversations with mm-hmm. customers that want to talk to us. We've got to figure out how to glue that together. Yeah. And it's, it's a huge opportunity. Every conversation that you have with a customer, whether it be through customer service, through a, a you know, marketing activation is an opportunity to engage the customer in your brand. And you want to make sure you're capitalizing on it as if it is that. Yeah. I, I would say that is the biggest trend I'm seeing kind of mm-hmm. coming into this year. Marketing used to own the websites and it was more of a viewing, you know, 90s. Yeah. It was something that was more educational. Now getting that marketing and care, customer service to yeah. be more of that value creation versus the cost, I think is incredibly uh, valuable to everyone. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. and then next year, not we're not even going to focus on me kicking. We're going to focus on either karaoke Beatles or some interpretive dance. We'll see if we can get we'll you back on and do one, of, one or the other. We'll probably merge those things together. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. that's really <laughs> exciting. I love it. Well, thank you so much yeah, for being on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And that's our show. CX and Chill is a production of Exo Studios, a division of ExtendOps. With hosts Stephanie Todd, producers David Spear, Clarissa Coronado, and Memo Devalos, and editors and videographers Carlos Alfonso and Santiago Aguirre. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out next time for more CX and Chill.